if we can, let's stand uh, and get in the word of God. We're Hebrews chapter 2, uh, verses 14 through 18. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 uh, through 18. Uh, when you get there, say amen. Um, and just so you, we will not be long this morning. We're going to get up in this word and get on out of here. Amen. Well, I'll start us off and then uh, you guys can jump in and finish. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Keep reading. to help those who are being tempted. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, that during this season we can celebrate the reality of your birth, um, that you did indeed come, uh, and you came with purpose. Uh, you came to accomplish a particular goal. And so this morning, God, I pray that you would uh, impress upon our hearts the significance of your incarnation, that we would be encouraged by it, that we would be challenged by it, that we would be comforted by that truth. And so, uh, please, Lord, help me to deliver and communicate your word uh, powerfully with clarity, with conviction, uh, and that your people might embed it into their hearts, that it might change them and transform their lives. And so, we just pray that in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 You may be seated. If you, if you know me well, uh, one of the things that you'll get to know about me quickly is that I am uh, a huge movie buff. Love movies. Love, love, love movies. I love watching movies. I, I enjoy the entertainment of movies. And, you know, there's all different types of genres of movies, right? And so, you know, you got comedy, you got, you got thriller, thriller sus suspense, horror movies, action movies. You got all these different types of movies. And, and I like to watch movies because you get to critique and judge movies. Uh, based on what you're viewing, uh, and they all have a different set of criteria, right? So you don't judge an action movie by the same standard that you judge a comedy and, and so on and so forth. But there's, there's one key distinction uh, between all great movies, regardless of the genre of movie it is. There's one key distinction, and it's this. All great movies have a great ending. All great movies have a great ending. I, one of my pet peeves is going to a movie, especially that I paid money for, because, you know, it's like 11.25 now. It used to be like 7.25 not too long ago. Um, and so, I, I mean, I, I like the red box because it's a dollar. I'll wait an extra couple months. Amen, somebody. Um, but but I, I, one of my pet peeves is going to the movie theater and and, 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 and the movie starts off great, middle is phenomenal. You're like, man, they're setting this thing up to be insane. And then you get to the ending and it's weak. And it frustrates me to no end. Because a weak ending to a, a, a what would have been a great movie completely ruins the movie. 
Because you don't walk away saying, man, that was a great movie if only they could have done the ending differently. You walk away saying, man, that wasn't a great movie because of the ending, right? And so in the same way as the movies, the incarnation for us is the beginning of the movie, but the incarnation in and of itself carries little value if there is no great ending. The incarnation carries little value if there is no great ending. And so while we're in a season of celebrating the coming of Christ, the birth of Christ, God becoming flesh, God becoming man, that, that loses value if it's purposeless, if that's all he does, if he merely just comes and walks on the earth and he doesn't die then his birth means little. And so as we, as we dig into this passage, we're, as, a, as a point of background, we're in a passage now with a group of people. The author is writing to a predominantly Jewish community. They're experiencing persecution because of their faith. They're getting a little weary. They're tired of being persecuted. And so they're beginning to, to go back to some of their, their old ways and their customs of Judaism. So they're, they're, they're looking for comfort in the law. They're looking for comfort in Moses. They're, they're looking for comfort in, in, in Joshua and in the priestly system. And so the author here is trying to encourage them to remain faithful to the faith and remain faithful to this Jesus who is much superior because of his divinity than the prophets of old, than the priests of old, than the law, than all of the, the angelic beings. But he also takes some time to step back and say, before I show you how superior he is to Moses and to Joshua and to the priests, I want to describe the importance of his humanity and why it's important that Jesus was not just divine, but while he was also human, because his humanity had a purpose, because the beginning had to be seen through the lens of the end. And so that's where we find ourselves in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, and it says, since therefore the children, since, since humanity, since mankind share in flesh and blood, like it, as different and as as, uh, as uh, diverse as we are as a people, even within humanity, there's one thing that we all share in common, and that's that we have flesh and blood, and we're made of physical bodies. And since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, partook of the same things. Now, now th- this, is, this is key, because we're talking about Jesus, who was God, the eternal one. Uh, John in chapter 1 says, and, and the, the word existed with God, and the word was God. And then in verse 14 it says, and the word became flesh. And so imagine this God who created heaven and earth, uh, who spoke into existence things that had not existed before, and he just talked and they just popped up out of nowhere. We're talking about an eternal God who is all self-sufficient, who doesn't need anything, has always existed, and he subjects himself. He takes on an additional nature. He takes on flesh. He makes himself human and subjects himself to the very things he created. Now, now that might not strike you, but think about how humbling of an experience that is for God. That the very air that he creates, he now makes himself dependent on. That that the food 
that he makes for man to eat, he now is dependent upon. He takes on himself an additional nature with all of its weaknesses. So this God who is self-sufficient, who doesn't need anything or anybody, now gets tired. And he now gets weak. And, and he now experiences pain. And he decides, this wasn't forced upon him, he decides that he's going to do this voluntarily. The very things he created and sustains himself, he now subjects himself to. He partook of the same things, flesh and blood. And a limitless God limits himself. But, 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 but if we read the text in verse 14, it says, he, he likewise partook of the same things so that purpose clause, which means what? That, that him taking on an additional nature, Jesus, God, who was eternal, became man for a reason. And he follows that so that with so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. So, so Jesus takes on flesh as a man. And he's now fully God and fully man. And he takes on that additional nature so that he might die to remove power from the devil. Right? What is, what is, this, what is this power of death that the devil has. Well, well, if we start with the devil or Satan's name, his name literally means the accuser, the one who accuses, right? And his, his, his role, what he does, his job, his primary motivation is to induce you to sin so that he can go before God and lay accusations against you before God. And then he lays those accusations before God against you and makes you feel the guilt of your sin because of the law. Because the law, through the knowledge of sin, brings death. And so now man naturally, because of sin and because of guilt, has a natural fear of death because that death separates you from God. And so what the devil does is he, the essence of his power is to bring you under condemnation because of your sin and, and, and cause you to experience the guilt and weight of your sin before God. And so Jesus comes and removes that. But, but he has to remove it by being a man. He, he, ha, he, can't, he can't just remove it without having been a man. Because Adam was the representative for man. So there needed to be another representative before God to carry the weight of man's sin so that God could remove the guilt of man's sin because of what that representative accomplished. And so the reason why the Lord Jesus became incarnate is that he might die. Verse 14, it says, he took on those same things, that through death he might destroy the power of death that is the devil's. So this God who creates everything and subjects himself to the very things he created, knows that he's on a mission to come and die in the flesh. He has to die. The only way to remove the power that Satan has is through death. But the key is that he can't be merely man. 
He has to be fully man, but he can't be only man. Because Psalms 49 says that man can't justify himself before God. The, the, the weight of removing sin is too great for just man to do. So that's why Jesus has to not only be man, but he also has to be fully God. Because as man, he can act as the representative before God. But as God, he can justify God's righteous demands that only God can do. And so while man needs a representative to carry the burden for him, man also needs God because he can't do it by himself. And so Jesus, who was already God, knew that he could justify his own demands, the Father's own demands. So now he has to take on the flesh, an additional nature of being a human, so that he can represent man. And he comes to die. Verse 15, it says, the, uh, it says that uh, he might come, uh, die, so that he can destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong uh, slavery. Uh, and so this, because of the guilt of sin, there's three typical responses that we have. The, one is to ignore sin. Ignore the guilt of sin. And so what this typically leads to is immoral behavior uh, where we ignore the fact that we've sinned or we act like sin does not exist. But as 1 John says, he who says that he's without sin is a liar and the truth isn't in him. But many have chosen to ignore the guilt and the weight of sin and act as if sin does not apply to them. Number two is they diminish the value of sin. And so what we do is we do a lot of good stuff to try to make ourselves feel better about our sin. And we try to dump all this good stuff into the same category so that our good stuff outweighs our bad and we're good people. And that way we can validate our own justification before ourselves by saying that, yes, I know I'm bad. Oh, I know I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect, but I'm a good person. And so we diminish the value of sin. But the third way is to repent of sin and turn to God. But in repenting of sin and turning to God, that can't be done without God. In order to repent and turn to God, you need God to help you repent and turn to him. And so the gospel message is that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law and the accusations of Satan and thus freed us from the slavery in which Satan held us. And that, that slavery is the inability to please God on your own. Because of sin and how sin separates, you have an inability to do anything that's pleasing to God. But through Christ and his death on the cross, he removes the burden of sin and the guilt of sin, and he stands in the gap for you. And now when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees Jesus. And because of that, you now can be accepted by God. And not only can you be accepted by God, but on a daily basis, he empowers you because of the removal of Satan's ability to accuse you and condemn you for your sins. He gives you the power to say no to sin and yes to God. That's why in Colossians chapter 2, 15, he says he disarmed, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in Christ. But there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a progression of going from condemnation 
or the condemnation because of guilt and sin to being redeemed by Christ um, to now having the freedom to worship God. And there's, there's four particular verses uh, that, that summarize these two verses, verses 14 and 15, that talk about Jesus is destroying the one who has the power of death that is the devil and delivering us from the fear of death. From the fear of death. And it, it starts in Romans uh, 8.1. It says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So those who have trusted Jesus, he removes Satan's ability and power, the power that he has to accuse you before God. He removes that. And he says, there's no longer any condemnation of guilt. There's no longer any guilt of sin before God. He removes it. Romans 6, 6 through 8. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live in him. Galatians 3, 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the reality is that because Jesus uh, was exempt from the fear of death, he now gives those who place their trust in him the exemption of the fear of death. And so now death because it's no longer accompanied by the guilt of sin, for the believer, there is no sting and there is no power in death. Because in death, we experience new life because of Christ. Verse 17. So Jesus comes. He wraps himself in flesh. He partakes of flesh. He, he puts on uh, the, the limitless, puts on limitations so that he can die. And, and remove the power of the enemy from our lives, give us new life. And verse 17 says, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every way. He had to be made like his brothers in every way. Being made a priest so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Now for, for, the, for the Jews, for this audience, this would have been, uh, this would have been a welcome introduction to the priesthood for them. Uh, because for them, the, the priesthood, uh, the priests of the Old Testament were never known for compassion. They were not known for their compassion. And ma matter of fact, uh, um, they were known for unf being unfeeling and cruel and their lack of sympathy towards the people. And so in the midst of difficulty and persecution, to know that they now have a mediator who is sympathetic and compassionate and merciful and faithful to them is a welcome, is a welcome response. Because that's something that they don't, they don't know of a mediator. See, priests, priests had to, they sacrificed and they mediated before the people. They were the only ones allowed to mediate before God on behalf of the people. And, and imagine if your priest or the only one who's able to mediate for you before God is unfeeling, cruel, unsympathetic, and what that does. That's how it's been historically. And so now there's this message that you have a high priest who is merciful 
and faithful and sympathetic and caring and, and loving and kind and, and, and he's loyal. That's what faithfulness, faithfulness speaks to his loyalty. It's literally his, his loyal love. His loyal love, his, his faithfulness, his steadfastness. There's not even a word. They had to make up a word just to identify how loyal his loyal love is. But, but, but that's what kind of high priest we have. And, 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 and the reason he can be the high priest is because he's earned the right to be. See, in order, in order for God to mediate on your behalf, he had to become one of us. See, there's, there's a difference in relationship between an outsider and somebody who's part of your squad. Like somebody who's on your inner circle, you can, you can go to. You can trust them. You can, you, 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 know, you, you know, they trust you. You pull them in closer. They know more about you. There's information, there's parts of your life that you let them have that just not any old body can get. And, and even though God was God, he, he wasn't relationally in a way where he could mediate for us. See, how would you feel if God had never been hurt? If he had never been abandoned? If he had never experienced pain? If he had never experienced loneliness? If he had never experienced confusion? If he never experienced the difficulty of family members? If he never experienced being abandoned, uh, being hurt, uh, being rejected, being misunderstood, being unjustly uh, accused, uh, 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 being uh, devalued in his personhood, um, being frustrated by the annoyance of people, uh, by being taken advantage of. Imagine what kind of God you have now that he's experienced those things as a man. You have a, a God who can sympathize with you today. You have a God who sympathizes with you. See, that's, that's hard to understand when God is just this abstract, uh, tr- like far away being uh, who, who's never experienced what it's like to be human. But you don't have that excuse. You don't have that excuse because God became a man. He wasn't any less God, but he came a man so that he could die in your place. See, he didn't, he didn't stop with just experience humanity. Like this wasn't a vacation with him where he doesn't, he just goes for a little while and comes back. He said, I'm going to experience humanity so that I can die for them and they can look upon me and come to me with everything, with every burden, with every trial. With every joy and every triumph, you have a high priest. But, but he's not just sympathetic. He's not just sympathetic. Look at, verse, look at verse 18. It says, for because he himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So in Jesus' coming, in his high priestly work of being merciful and being faithful, he doesn't just stop with being compassionate and sympathizing. God is not just, Jesus is not just there saying, man, I feel bad for you guys. I know how you feel. No, Jesus says, I know how you feel. And then he goes to work and takes action. 
This, this sentence literally means, it literally means to run to the cry of those in danger and bring them aid. Your God is on, he's waiting and on call for you to come to him as one who is in need so that he can bring you aid. And it's, it's only made possible because man has been redeemed to God through a representative who was Jesus. So now he stands as your mediator before God. Can you imagine that? God, as a man who knows everything that you're going through, has experienced everything that you could experience, who sympathizes and wants to come to your aid and will come to your aid, right? So he's part of your, he's part of your inner circle, and you know he's got your back, right? But, but, but imagine, but not only does he have your back, but he's also God. And so the very one that you're petitioning to, he can go to and he's a part of that inner circle because he's God. Imagine what that says to your prayer life. Imagine how that changes your perception of difficulty. Imagine that, how that spurs you on to persevere when you know that your, your right-hand man is God. Your, your right-hand man is God. Your homeboy who got your back who's never going to leave you nor forsake you, is God. And so the, the one that you're going to for aid is the same one who comes to deliver you from that aid. That's why he had to come. See, he, I know we like the, we like the cute picture of, of baby Jesus in the manger with the cows and the zebras and giraffes, I don't even know how they get there, but the zebras and giraffes around this little manger scene. And I, I mean, he's so cute and adorable in that little manger. All I keep thinking about is Talladega Nights where it's three pound, four ounce baby Jesus. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. But, but if, if he comes, if he comes and stays there, if he comes and stays there, that we haven't been redeemed. But if Jesus, being God, comes and tries to redeem us without being man, then he hasn't redeemed us at all. It was important for God to come as a man in the flesh and yet be fully God so he could kill two birds with one stone. He took care of man's issue and yet still remained faithful to God's character. And so when we, when we see, when we see and we rejoice in the beauty of this incarnation, God becoming flesh, we have to see it in light of the ending, the end of the story, which is that Jesus died and rose again. And so today, that's the two things that I want us to take Take home the implications of Jesus' humanity. I told y'all we were going to be out of here soon. The implications of the humanity of Jesus. One, the atoning death of Jesus can truly avail for us. He was one of us and thus could truly offer a sacrifice on our behalf. Because man needed a man to be his representative. And he needed to be God to satisfy God's own righteous demands. Number two, Jesus can truly sympathize with and intercede for us. He can sympathize and he can intercede. 
Jesus put on flesh and became a man so that he could take care of man's issue. And so as we celebrate the joy of the season of the holiday and we think about this incarnation of God, be mindful that the incarnation means very little if he does not come and die. And not just stay in the ground, but then he gets up. Because for us, the, him getting up is the validation that he satisfied every single one of God's requirements. Death no longer has a sting because there was no sin involved when Jesus died. And therefore, the curse was broken and the grave could not hold him. The beauty of that is because Jesus was a man, we get to experience that same resurrection. And so for us, there is no more fear of death because we get to experience new life in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for the, the truth of what seems like a simple doctrine uh, and is both simple and complex at the same time, but yet very practical in that you came as a man who was still God, and you, 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 you helped us do something that we could not do ourselves, and, and, and we get the benefits of having done nothing. We get all the benefits of doing nothing, but putting our trust and our faith on you, the one who conquered death, the one who never sinned, the one who got up from the grave. And so we thank you for the humility that you've shown in stepping down from eternity and putting on limitations and subjecting yourself to the weakness of your creation and then experiencing death on our behalf. What great love is that, that you would do that for us? And so, God, we remain thankful and humbled by your grace and by your mercy. And I pray that if nothing else, we would know that because of that reality, we have a high priest who can both sympathize for us and mediates on our behalf to God the Father. And so, Lord, I pray that in this season, uh, for those of us who experience hurt, who, who experience loneliness, who experience all of the difficulties that come with just life, that we would feel the comfort of a high priest who knows and who cares and who is ready to run to our aid. And so, God, may that, may that reality ring true in our lives. And may your people embrace the greatness of that truth. We just pray that in your name. Amen.